You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lamentations 5. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion. Young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill. And boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate. The young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon. I actually was practicing that like four or five times before I walked up. Um, it's, it's difficult, y'all. I mean, I had to get good morning in, then we had to get good evening in. Actually, before good morning, if you've been with us the whole time, it was good evening. Actually, before that, it was welcome to my living room. So welcome to my living room. Good morning, good evening, now good afternoon. And I feel like my memory is really is slipping. Like I'm starting to feel like my memory is getting to that, that place where your iPhone gets to like one thing in means one thing has to come out. Like you have to do the update that changes Siri from a girl to a, a British dude. And so you believe everything it says. It can lead you the wrong way, but it just sounds right because it has a British accent. So you just listen. But to even make that download, you have to like delete 27 pictures. Like one thing in, one thing out. It, it never comes up so much as like when I go to the pharmacist and I'm trying to pick up a prescription or something. And they ask me for my kid's birthday. And I'm like, Anna. 524, she's six. Can you do the math for me, please? I just need help. I swear she's mine. And I'm like, I don't think I'm old enough for this thing to be happening. But like, one thing in, one thing out. And I think the difficulty is sometimes like, like Lamentation 5. We, we look at God and we think, what if it's one thing in and one thing out? 
What if the entrance of someone else into the spotlight of God's mercy and grace means that a shadow is cast over my life and he doesn't see me, he doesn't hear me, he doesn't even remember me? Have you ever thought, does God, has he forgotten me? Like, have you ever thought, like, God, can you see my day? Do you see just what happened? And then something else falls apart, and you're like, do you even remember me? Are the promises in the Scripture that all find their yes in Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 1.20, are those still for me? Have you forgotten me, or am there no longer a place in your memory? Or more important, is there no longer a place in your mercy for me? I mean, do you see that all, all over Lamentations 5? Like, like Lamentations 5 is actually really, really different from Lamentations 1 through 4. Not the language. Like, like there's no way someone else wrote this. Like I actually don't think there's any other way that it, this wasn't written by Jeremiah. I know there's some scholarly debate, but if you read Jeremiah, you see Lamentations in Jeremiah. Like you see the lamenting that looked just like this and the language is almost identical. But something happens when we get to Lamentations 5. It is so different, even though most of the words found in Lamentations 5, you can find them in Lamentations 1 through 4. Like, like what you find in Lamentations 1 through 4 is it, it's an acrostic poem, meaning an alphabet poem. And so um, you have 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So in Lamentations 1, 2, and 4, if you look at your Bible, look down, you, you'll see 22 verses. And so every verse starts with the next letter. So it goes A, B, C, except in Hebrew, which if I did better in Hebrew, I would tell you what it was. But then you have Lamentations 3, and like things get serious there. And so everything is tripled. It goes A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. It's this orderly way to express the chaos that is all in front of us. Like this is actually like, this is what happens a lot of times in counseling. Like, or, or when you sit down with a friend and they're like, hey, tell me what's going on. Like they help you with questions to express it in an orderly way. And once you like get to the end of it, like you're able to kind of free, free flow your thoughts. It's like, this is everything that's there. And so sometimes structure, you know, brought into something that is so chaotic and so dark, it just helps. But then we get to Lamentations 5, and it's like, oh, Lord, all the wheels fall off. There's no structure. Like, they didn't even try to keep the alphabet, you know, poem going. It's not like they said, like, A, B, ah, forget it. It's like, it doesn't even exist. In Lamentations 5, all attempts for order are just abandoned. This would be the moment in the siege at the Babylon Babylonians at the gate, like they break into the city. It's no longer a siege, but it's an occupation and a deportation. And the pictures in the street that were horrific in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 seem to get a little bit worse. Like that moment, and we see two cries. Look at verse 1. Remember. Like the first cry is, God, can you remember? And then if you jump down to verse 21, and this is basically the outline, you see the word restore. And so the question is, God, do you remember me? Can you see me? Are your promises for me? And then you jump down to the very last two verses, and it's like, 
can you restore my life? Two things, remember. Restore. Let me pray for us and then um, let's jump in. Um, Father, Lord, as we look at um, just another ordered list of all things that are, are lost, Lord, I pray that we would see a correlation that the alliances that we are prone to make with sin as a people and as persons, the alliances that we are prone to make with sin, Lord, we, we think they serve our appetites, they think we, they, they serve things for us, but they are enemies at the gate, and when they get inside of our life, they take and they take and they take. We see almost 18 verses of taking. And then we see one final plea. Is there any room in your mercy to restore me? And so Jesus, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would stir in our hearts, in the life of every believer in the room and anyone listening, that you would stir in our hearts and there would be one thing that alerts us to something that was lost and there would be one thing that's tied to it, to sin at the gate of our lives that we've made an agreement with and it will not keep its end. Like we would tie it to one thing and we would hold it to you and we would say, can you restore this? Father, Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you, if you don't have a, a Bible, there might be a Bible in front of you. It might be helpful. Um, if you have a Bible phone, that might be helpful too. Um, but we're just going to kind of walk through this. And I know I, I, when I say that, you're like, that's what we always do. It's not what we always do, all right? Um, but we're just going to walk through this. And so we're going to start off. And so the first really 1 through 20 has to deal uh, with this idea of, God, do you remember me? Do you remember your people? Do you remember the promises that you made? And we would actually carry that like remember uh, all the way through. And so with each new section, you might actually say, can you see or do you remember? And then what is lost and what is right in front of their lives. And so look, like we just ask this, like if we're looking at remember, we'd say, God, do you see all that has been taken? Do you see all that is lost? Verse one, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us? Look and see our disgrace. Like, like, the questions here are really obvious. Do you see me? Like, are you aware of what has been taken or what is at stake? Or do you even care if you see it? Like, really, verse 1 acts like a summary for the next 17 verses. Like, it basically summarizes everything that's followed. Do you see what has befallen? Do you see our disgrace? Do you have an answer? Do you care? And so let's just look at what it says. So first, it says our inheritance has been lost in verse 2. So we carry the remember. Remember, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Like it starts off and it looks at the land itself, which if you're familiar with the Old Testament, really very solidly from Genesis 15, that land has been a big part of the promise to God's people who didn't have a place. And God came to Abraham and said, listen, your people who will be a blessing to all the nations... They will have a place in this world. They will have a place. And like even like thinking that like an inheritance is not something that you work for and you get. An inheritance is something you get because of a relationship that you stepped into. And so if you think about it like that, like, 
Losing an inheritance is not like losing work. It's more like being pushed out of a family. Like there's no room for you. And so they looked at all the land before them, all the walls broken down, the gates on fire, all the enemies in the street with we'll see all the things we're doing. And it says, do you even remember that you promised us a place and now that place is gone? You know, when, when your inheritance is given to someone else, it's not just the loss of stuff, but it's also the rejection of a status, the pushing out of a household. And so it starts off, do you see our inheritance is lost? And then it goes on and it says even a little bit more personal, do you, do you see that our home is gone? In verse 2 it goes on, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. Like the feeling of home is so much more than just like warm on a cold night. It's so much more than like bricks and mortars. Like listen, I know people who've described, man I come home, it doesn't even feel like home. Like we're about to sell, like the, the house that I grew up in. Um, in Ponca City, Oklahoma. If you've never been there, um, you could find my house on Virginia Avenue on a brick street. Uh, but it's still ours. It's about to be sold. And it's kind of a weird thing. Like, I don't have any memories growing up outside of that house. I mean, that, that, that's where I tried to, I, I set a toilet on fire. I can do it. I did it. Uh, that's where, like, we played hide and go seek. And it was a scary old house. Like, there was a, there's a closet. that They called it a Volkswagen closet because you maybe could fit a Volkswagen in there. That's what, I don't know. But it had, like, this hidden entry compartment. There's a, a section of our house. It was once an entrance. And at some point, they're like, hey, that entrance is, like, a dumb place. So they filled it in. There's, like, a, a, a little room that's all walled off, like bodies could be hidden in there. You know, we don't know. Or gold, maybe gold, I don't know. We shouldn't sell it, you know. But like all these memories of like a feeling of home. Our home is lost. Home means a place that I belong. Like there's a place for me, a place that I can be me. Maybe even like the question of all other places, I have to be a different me so I'm acceptable, but there's a place where I can actually be me, and all of a sudden, it's gone. Inheritance given to another. My place, my home, gone. God, can you see this? Will you remember me? But we lose more. Look in verse 3. Fathers have been taken. They're gone. Look, look, look. It's the missing ingredient. We have become orphans. Orphans are orphans because they don't have fathers. Fatherless. It went ahead and named it for you. And then it goes, our mothers are like widows. The missing of dads. God, do you see what's happening to the family of your people? Do you see what's missing? You promise over and over that you stand close. You know, Psalm 68, verse 5, it's an example that you stand with the fatherless, that you stand and protect the widows. And so this is like even a step further. Do you remember the promise about the inheritance? Do you remember the promise about making a place for us? Do you remember the promise that you stand with people who suffer just like me? Do you remember? It goes on, and we see, like, in verse 4, a losing of our rights. They're threatened. Look at this, verse 4. Like, these are things you need. It says, like, we must pay for water we drink. 
the wood we must gather. It must be bought. And so all of a sudden it jumps from like this idea of a home set aside, a place for us. It steps outside the loss of family. It says, we don't have rights to what we used to have right to. You used to be able to just go get your own water. You used to be able to just go get your own wood. But now we have to buy those things. Place, family, basic needs, like they're gone. And the question is, do you see us? Do you care? And then verse 5, we see the rest escapes them. Look at verse 5. It says this, like, our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. Like, it's like we, we are pressed. It's hard to find breathing room. Like, we are weary. There's no rest given. We can't find it. Like, when we lay down, there's turmoil. I mean, have you ever had that kind of sleepless night? Where, like, I mean, everything, like, is okay, but maybe a hard conversation's coming up, and you just, like, can't, or you had one, or something is uncertain, and you just can't fall asleep, and you wake up because you dozed off for a minute, and you are, like, begging God for sleep. No rest. My place is gone. My family is broken. I'm pressed and growing faint. Like, have you ever felt like any of that? So after these, like, five things that are listed, what we see next in verses 6 and 7 is a confession of sin. Now, now listen, I, look, look at me. This, this is, like, dangerous ground. And so I want to walk here, like, like I want to walk carefully, This is talking about people who have suffered in some pretty incredible ways. And then they're lamenting, like as they list what is lost, they move to something like, we actually sinned. Like, and we live in a culture like, like if there's suffering at all, like you can't be pressed on at all. But yet as the people of God, like we have a very fundamental thing in us that sin, that only the grace of God can touch. And he's actually created this thing that if we confess our sins to him, he loves to step into them and to forgive us of all unrighteousness. L- listen to what we hear. Verse 6. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Syria to get bread enough. Like what we see is to get what we thought we needed, to get what we needed. We didn't look to you, but we made an agreement with an enemy. It might look like instead of offering our hands up to God, we just made our own deal. Instead of waiting, we took what we thought was being withheld from us. Instead of seeking, we hid. Instead of repenting, we excused. Like, am I, am I the only one that if I'm honest, I can actually see kind of like mental agreements I've made with sin. And like I, I look at it and I say, listen, if you help me out here, like I'll draw this line and just don't go any further. And yet sin keeps stepping over the line. And look, it's actually going to step over the line here and then at the end. Like look at verse 7. It says, our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Like, he's just being historical. Like, he's just looking at, like, yeah, man, we made those agreements. We ignored what you said, God, and now look how we're suffering. And so, like, I want to make sure you hear this. Like, their forefathers made deals that reaped horrible present circumstances, and we talked about a lot of those last couple weeks. Like, horrible present circumstances, and do you, Like, do you not see that in the world? Like, I'm not saying, like, you're not, like, 
the, the scriptures actually nail it down. Like you are not guilty for, for the sins of your forefathers, of your family line. But do we not walk with limps because of them? Like, like can you be honest? Like if you grew up in kind of a harsh home, is like being close and trusting people not hard, is that kind of a limp? Like we see it over and over and like just another call, like last week, like moms, dads, like young people in the room, like, like we, when it said bear the yoke of your youth, like learn to fight your sin now because it will not respect any line that you draw. And just like the picture here, when the, the walls of your life come down and the enemy comes in, it is there to take everything. When it overflows beyond the grip of your hands, it will consume the loved ones around you. So we see this moment of confession that if we look at the picture, just like enemies at the gate, the gates have been broken down and now they're running rampant. (laughs) Take two. Running rampant in the city, taking everything. Sin takes. But then we come back to a list. Look at verse 8. Really 8 through 13. Like what I see there is like what's missing is power and autonomy. Verse 8. It says, Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the pair of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion. Young women in the towns of Judah Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill. And the boys stagger under the loads of wood. Do you see all the loss of power and autonomy? Like first, like uh, as a nation, like the unqualified, or this is going to say the slaves are now ruling the elders. Like, like right there when it says, the, so you see that in, in verse 8, and then you see the elders in verse 12. Like if you needed justice, like if there was a case or you needed someone to decide something, you would go to the gates and you would find the elders there and they would have experience and they could speak authoritatively to your plight. And so you could say, there is injustice my neighbor has taken from me and you would bring before them. And now there's no one to hear your case, no one to turn to. The only thing to embrace in injustice is the injustice itself in that moment. Or or you see personal autonomy slipping away. Able-bodied men, they don't pick their work anymore, but they're forced to hard labor in verse 13. Their bodies are expendable as they cook in the elements in verse 10. And the women in verse 11 are raped by the enemies at the gate. Like, is there any, like, if there's a deeper picture of a loss of autonomy and power and abuse of power, I, I don't know what it is. Like, just that image, like the image of all loss and power, it's trying to, it, it's a historical thing that's happening. It's a historical thing that's happened. It's a historical thing that's happened to some people in the room. Like, it's a historical thing, but it's also building a picture. Like, do you see what happens when we make, like, a, a, a treaty with, with, with sin in our lives? Like, we say, stand on this side. Don't come any closer. Stay away from my family and my loved ones. And it just looks at you and smiles and says, sure, sure. Just open the gate. 
like sin, like the Babylons at the gate of Jerusalem, pressing ever so steadily until it overwhelms the boundaries you thought you had in place. It always takes far more than what you dream of. The loss of power and autonomy, the loss of home, the loss of inheritance. Um, But then we also see like there's nowhere to go to establish justice. We mentioned in verse 14, the old men have left the city gate. Like respected elders at the gate to help you walk through things, to help make a deal, to help establish what wisdom and what is fair. There's no one to decide if you are wronged. You know, it goes on, verse 14, look, it goes on to name another loss. Like when it says uh, the young men, you actually need to import, like have left. So the young men have left their music. Like there's no time for that. It says in, in verse 15 through 16, our joy is drying up. Like look, the joy of our heart has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. Like have you ever like been joyful and excited? You just kind of dance. Like, even if you can't dance, you just kind of dance. Like, I, I, I get made fun of my house because I kind of have a food dance. Like, I, I, you know, I sit down for a living, and so when I eat at lunch, I kind of stand up. And when I'm eating, I kind of, like, dance. I mean, I'm, like, hit, you know, hitch style, like, arms at 90, you know, just to the left and to the right, nothing too crazy, you know what I mean? And so, like, just the idea, like, something to lead you to dancing. Verse 16, we see another confession starting. So we saw... Lost, remember, can you see confession of sin? Lost, remember, can you see? And then a confession of sin. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Like, if you can see the connection between your sin and a present loss of joy or suffering. Like if right now, if the Holy Spirit has done a kindness to you and shown you like a, like, oh my gosh moment, like a moment of like, wait a minute, what if like this black haze around me, what if the darkness around me is actually has something to do, not, not the sin that was done to you, I'm not talking about that, but what if there's been some sort of an agreement that you've made with that sin or suffering? And just for a second, those things connected, like, that is a beautiful, God-inspired moment for the salvation of your soul. See, sin loves to blind. It loves to divert your eyes away from, like, yourself to others. It loves to have unfair comparisons with what it sees. It loves to turn your attention to anything but itself, the sin. It desperately wants you to look at anything else for reason or for why. Sin loves to blind. Sin also loves to whisper lies. It whispers It whispers. You wake up hearing its whispers. It haunts over your life. It loves to divert. It deceives you to make you believe that the loss of joy is everyone else's fault or God's fault himself. It leads you to believe things like everything becomes excusable because they don't understand. They just don't get me. They didn't see. It whispers. It loves to deceive. And do not, do, not, do not hear this wrong. Jesus can identify great with sin being done to him and the tragedy of that. 
And you are never liable for sin done to you. I mean, think about the list that we just saw there. God didn't show up and be like, well, I mean, you get what you deserve. But sin likes to hide and to dig in deep, and it likes to turn attention to everything else. And as soon as you start to feel a connection, it likes to say, but wait a minute. Like that little defense attorney in your heart, like it stands up and it says, I object. You don't understand. What if the Bible's true and it is God's kindness that brings us to repentance? And what if it's just a moment just to say, man, I see some ways that I've aligned myself with that to use it to excuse or to move or to hide. Like just this moment that you would just say, what if that's right? Sin desperately wants to stay in the dark. It desperately wants to spin every story to fit itself into preserving narrative. And in the dark, it grows and it grows and it devours joy and it takes area and it steals relationships and it takes and it takes like an enemy at the gate when the walls are broken down, it enters in. But it's not too late. Verse 17 talks about hope, the loss of hope. Like, look, it says, for our heart has become sick. For those things, our eyes have grown dim. Is your heart aching? Have your eyes, have they grown weary from searching for answers or hope on the horizon? Have you entertained questions like, is life even worth it? Like, I, I just want, I want to paint a picture, like, what if, like, a John 10, 10 is true that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy? Like, what if, like, all the loss that you have endured is a demonic attack upon your life? Not saying the loss isn't real. What if the entrance into your life is more like a handshake or a participation than a blinding assault? What if it's a demonic scheme to destroy every last spark of the image of God in you because Satan hates what you look like because you are wonderfully and beautifully made to reflect the God of the universe. Like when God looks at you, he sees something about himself that like an artist poured himself in. What if, what if like when you're thinking about your sin in terms of doing something, it's much more like a bloodthirsty enemy at the gate who wants to take everything. What if you saw the battle in your life a little bit more like the battle in Lamentations 5? A demonic enemy coming to your life to take your inheritance, your place, your rest, your assurance, your hope and joy, your power and autonomy. What if a John 10.10 10 is true that he has come to still kill and destroy? What if the New Testament is true? Like Ephesians 6, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What if there actually is a battle for the light in your soul? And it hides. And it diverts. And it conspires 
And you wake up in the morning hearing its whispering. And you fall asleep hearing its whispering. And it's a battle of thoughts and ideas and beliefs in your soul. Because Satan is so scared that if you actually believe the promises of God and preach those promises back to him, light would flood into your soul. And those things that are exposed to the light of Christ are light themselves. What if that's true? See, verse 18, the Hebrew people had made agreement after agreement with their sin, and now the reckoning was at the gates to take away their kingdom. And that's what it says in verse 18. For Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem, for the kingdom that was given. For Mount Zion, the kingdom which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Like all of a sudden it just says, all that I see that's lost, all that I see is broken. I know it's not because you're not on your throne. It doesn't feel like you're on your throne, but you reign for all generations forever and ever. You haven't stopped that. Verse 20, why do you forget us? We started just like that. And now we end. Do you remember? Why do you forget us? Why do you forget us? Will you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Forgotten. Do you, before we move on, and we're, we're almost done, do you ever feel forgotten? Like you, you look at other people's lives, and it's on social media, so you should know it's not all real. So look, if you don't know, it's not all real. You can't believe everything you see on the internet. Write that down. But you look at other people's lives, you're like, well, God remembers them, but I don't know if he remembers me. Remember. We have verses 21 and 22 to talk about Restore. How can God restore us when our sin has taken so much? Look, look at verse 21. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Like, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Like they lost so much, they now see it clearly. We made a deal with our sin and it took everything. I mean, we saw that confession in verses 6 and 7 and then in verse 17, we, we, we see it now. For a moment, we see a connection there. We made a deal and it was wrong. And then the question, they wondered if it could ever be brought back. Could all that was lost, could it ever be returned? Could they ever be restored? Like, do you ever look at part of your life and be like, man, could that be restored? Can that be healed? Can, can, can I, like we looked at Psalm 51, can I not suffer from the guilt of what has been done or what I've done? Can that be turned to joy? Like, what would it cost for me to buy my family back, to bring that back? What would it cost for me to have a place back in this world? What would it cost for me to have hope or joy? What would that cost? Like, if God made a way to return back, would I even take it? Like, those are the questions wrapped up in that. Like, look at verse 21 again. It says, restore us back to yourself, O Lord, that we might be restored. Like, the first and the last Hebrew word there, it's the same word. And so really, it could look like this. Return us to you. And we will be returned. Or you could say it like this. Make a way back for us and we will walk in it. If I look at the darkness of my life, 
<laughs> and I just say, God, if you provided a way back, I would actually take it. Like in that moment, what is the way back? Like when we have lost so much, like what is the way back? And the answer is all found in the person of Jesus. God has made a way back to him. Jesus, who was a king himself, laid down everything that has been lost here so that he might bring us back. And so like, if we, we look at the list, like, it starts with an inheritance. Like Jesus laid down his inheritance as the only faithful son of God, the only heir that was faithful. You can read about it in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. He laid his inheritance down so that we could be counted in the inheritance. Jesus left his heavenly home and his father to come and make a way back for us. See, he knows what it's like to lose a home. Because when he was on this earth, he said, the son of man has no place to rest his head. He left a home. He laid it down. He left all the comforts of heaven and took on the sleepless nights and the anxiety of life. And you can read about that exchange in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. He laid comfort down so that we could have comfort to experience the comfort and give it to others who need it. He laid down all his rights as the son of God and was numbered with sinners in our place unjustly. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Jesus laid down everything that was his to pay a sin debt that was ours. To pay a sin debt that was mine. And he's promised for those who find themselves in Jesus the way back, the way, the truth, and the life, according to John 14, 6, those who find themselves in Jesus one day all things will be resurrected. That means there is not a pain or a suffering or an experience that he somehow will not bring that to a fruition, bring that to something, some in this life, some in the next life, that he will not say that when we look at it from his vantage point, we'll be like, it was necessary. See, this says Jesus laid down everything that was his to pay a sin debt that was ours. And he's promised that if we die with him, like in the crucifixion, that if we die to our sin in him, we will be resurrected to him and all that was lost will be made whole. It's not that it's like returned. It's not like you get a new cool car in heaven. It's like this, that he wipes away every tear and all of a sudden you see resurrection power. God has provided a way back. The question is, will you walk in it? The way back is clearly laid out in the words that John wrote in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A part of that confession is if you saw a correlation between a suffering and a sin, is that you say, man, I made a sinful agreement. I made a sinful alliance. And God, I need you to save me from my alliance. This says he will. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, Lord, as we turn just to the idea 
of the path that gets played before us. We get to see it. How was this path made? Jesus came and he left all, and then he left this life with a broken body and spilled blood upon the cross. But sin couldn't hold him because he had no sin. Though he bore our sin, though it was imputed to him, and he suffered the wrath of God in our place, though that happened because he was sinless, death couldn't hold him. And now there's a way back. And now there's a way back. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. And standing in the middle of that is the person of Jesus. Father, Lord, I pray that we would just have the courage just to say what's true, if it's true. And Lord, you're not you're not vindictive. We don't have to get the words just right for you to move. But anywhere that we see darkness that we're clinging to because we're afraid, if we just expose it to light, you say you make it light itself. I've seen it hundreds of times. When people share what they gave over to Jesus, I see it bring hope and renewal and intimacy. And sometimes those are deep heart attitudes that we've held on to. And when we just say, gosh, man, God, save me from this, you act. So, Father, we rehearse this every week. We look at what brought the road back, and it was the death of Jesus. Christian, look at me. Just as a reminder every week, we look to communion and we look at the body, the bread, and it reminds us that Jesus' body was broken. And remember Jesus' hard words that he looked at the disciples and many turned away. He says, this is my body and you have to consume it to be saved, which means there's only one way in. It's all in. And so the body of Jesus, broken for your sins. And then Jesus, during the Passover, he stood on thousands of years of taking uh, the, taking the wine and remembering that God's wrath passed over those who believed. Standing upon that, he changed it all. He says, this no longer represents that. This now represents my blood, the blood of the covenant, the blood that brings you back into the inheritance and blood can't be paid back. And he says, remember this. Christian, the blood of Jesus poured out for your life. Jesus, Lord, we love you and we need you. And Lord, I pray that where we have, um, where I'm so prone, where we're prone to treat sin lightly, Lord, we would see it more like an enemy at the gate who is bent on destruction to still kill and destroy. But you came to save. In Jesus' name, amen.